you all, if you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we are just looking at those two verses, verses 14 and 15, Romans chapter 8, and we are just looking at uh, verses 14 and verses 15. I've titled this message as We Are Sons of God, and uh, I always want to write it as We Are Children of God. I thought that was nice. I thought it's all the better if I can write it as We Are Sons and Daughters of God. But the more you read the passage, uh, you, you're forced to have the title as We Are Sons of God. Uh, so the title itself is so significant and it is so rich. Uh, we are sons of God. We are sons of God. And this message answers the question, why are we not able to delight in God? Deep down, all of us, we desire to delight in God. And this message to a greater extent, answers that question, why are we not able to enjoy God? Because the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Bible says that, we know that verse. But our experience, in my experience, I'm unable to say that, you know, Lord, you're so good. So good. I know I've experienced God's goodness. But when it comes to my feelings and emotions, I'm unable to say that. And this message answers that question. How can we enjoy our God more? How can we delight in our God? So for today's meditation, as I said, <clears throat> we will just look at Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 and 15, let us uh, read it together. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. This is God's word. Glorious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage talks about our adoption to sonship. The more we grow and understand what this adoption to sonship means, we will be able to function better as an individual, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, and as an employee. That's the reason it is important for us to grasp the magnitude of the, these two statements. Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Then he says, we are sons of God by adoption. If you can just grasp the magnitude of what Paul is saying, our life will become richer. I pray the Spirit of God will help us to grasp the truth that's there in the Word of God. So in order to try to understand what Paul is trying to tell us by way of your adoption to sonship, we'll try to answer three questions. The first question is, why is adoption required? The second question is, what are the privileges of adoption? What are the privileges of adoption? Then the third question is, how does adoption make us more like Jesus? 
if we can unpack these three questions to a greater extent, we will be able to understand the significance of adoption to sonship. So our first question is, why is adoption required? Why is adoption required? Now, adoption was a customary legal procedure in Roman society. We should remember that adoption was not common in Hebrew culture. Jews in Palestine did not practice this adoption. So Paul, as a Roman citizen, was well-versed with this adoption procedure. And we should keep in mind that Paul is writing to the people in Rome who are also well aware about the technicalities and the significance of this adoption. So if a person wished to adopt an outsider into his family, the transaction had to be carried out legally. Adoption normally occurred when a wealthy person had no son to inherit this property. So he would then carefully choose someone as an heir. It could be a child, it could be a youth, it could be even an adult. The moment legal document was sealed, in the present day we say the moment the documents are signed, those days the moment the legal document was sealed, several things were immediately true of the adopted son. This was his condition before adoption. And after adoption, several things changed. His entire history changed. The first thing, he got a new name. The moment he was adopted, he got a new name. And whatever debts he had, it was paid. All his old debts were paid. And instantly, he becomes heir to the property. Everything the father owned, the adopted father owned, became his property. He became heir to that property. And finally, the adopted son had few obligations. He had to honor and please his father. Now, all these aspects lie behind this passage. When Paul is saying that you, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, Paul has all these things in his mind. It is from slum to palace, and Paul has all these things in his mind. In other words, he's talking about the richness of salvation experience, the richness of salvation experience. That's what we see in Romans chapter 8, 14, 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, above Father. If you have noticed in this passage, two times Christians are called as sons of God and adoption to sonship. Twice, Christians are called sons of God. Now, it is true that in Roman culture, sonship was the privilege and status given only to males, not to females, only to males. Our culture is no different. So we can uh, 
identify ourselves with the role, with the culture that was prevalent in Rome. Now, Paul, knowing fully well, applies this to all believers, both men and women, all Christians, male and female, are now our heirs. It was a countercultural thing for Paul to take something which was exclusive to males. It is a it is a male privilege, exclusively to males, and to show that in Jesus Christ, this adoption, this empowering, when that happens we all enjoy the same privilege and status. Females and males as well, both enjoy. There's no difference in the kingdom of God. Once we accept Jesus Christ, we, both men and women, have the same privileges that were available to somebody who was adopted as a son. Now, why do I say countercultural? It, it, it's not easy when we read this. For Paul, he's doing something countercultural. Today, if I were to say in any uh, society which is where, you know, where dowry is a common thing, if I were to say that, henceforth, the boy's side will give, will give dowry to the girl's side. Do you think they'll allow me to say the next word? Even if it's a church, and if I say henceforth, the boy's side will give dowry to the girl's side, do you think they'll allow me to say the next sentence? They will not allow. It is, and Paul is saying something like that. It is countercultural. That is the reason Christian women should not feel bad being called sons of God. As I told you in the beginning, I wanted to write and uh, give the title as children of God, sons and daughters of God. But more and more you understand this passage, what it means by adoption to sonship, the richness that's there in the term that sons of God, if you only understand the significance of sons of God. So Christians, both men and women are all sons and all are the bride. So God is even-handed in his use of metaphor, as I mentioned earlier. And each metaphor tells us something about our relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, verse 15, the the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You know, the first thing the, this phrase conveys is that no one is born into a true relationship with God. We all have to be adopted. The fact that we receive our sonship status proves that there was a time when we were lost. We were not naturally God's children. We were not naturally God's children. So this means the father-child relationship with God is not automatic. The only person who has it naturally is Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten son and he alone has that natural relationship, natural father-son relationship. For all of us, it's not automatic. We have to be adopted to sonship. Now, the second thing this tells is the our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act by the Father. 
it is completely on a legal act by the father. Now, he had no choice. He had no choice. His entire status changed after the father adopted him. So we have no choice. And it is the legal act of the father. And it is very costly to father to adopt us. The, it is a very costly affair. So that there is nothing the adopted son does to win or earn this status. He has not come to this place based on his merit or he did something extraordinary. It is purely based on the work of the adopted father. And that's the reason we see that the Bible receives reserves all the richness of the term children of God only for those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. That's, where we, that's what we find in John chapter 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Before this, we were not children of God. It is only when we received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So sonship is given to those who receive him. Who receive him, sonship is given. What Paul is emphasizing in this particular chapter is, it's not only we should believe in this doctrine of sonship. It is not just believing with our minds. What he's telling us is we must be mindful of it and feel it. We must be mindful of it and feel it. Can you imagine when this boy came to this place, he had the same feelings? Don't you think his feelings and emotions would have changed? With the change of his status, do you think he had the very same feelings when, you, when he used to live in this place? Not at all. His feelings and his emotions would have changed with his new status. And that's what Paul is emphasizing. We must be mindful of it in the sense we must feel in our body those sensations, those emotions. We need to feel that. The second question is, what are the privileges of adoption? We saw why is adoption required? Because we, are, we were not born as children of God. God had to adopt us. The second question is, what are the privileges of adoption? I'm not going to spend more time on this question but I'll just briefly touch what are the privileges that we see in these two verses. I'm not going to explain in detail. Now, Romans 8, 14, 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your sonship to adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Paul lists three privileges in verses, these two verses, three privileges. And each one is wonderful, and you can take a lot of time. You can spend a good amount of time just meditating on these three privileges. Uh, the first privilege is security. We are not to fear because we enjoy sonship. Now, an employee or a servant basically obeys out of fear of punishment. In your workplace, you're scared. 
you are fearful of your superiors, authorities. <coughs> Sorry. But a child-parent relationship is not characterized by a fear of losing the relationship. The son or daughter is not fearful that I lose this relationship. The Bible clearly says in Isaiah 49, 15 to 16, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. What do you make out when you see the crucified Savior on the cross? The nail-pierced hands. He has engraved you and me on the palms of his hands. That is the price he prayed for our adoption to sonship. That is the security that we have as children who have been adopted. The second privilege is we have authority. We don't have the status of a slave, but of sonship. In a house, slaves have no authority. They cannot do things on their own. But, but children have authority, a limited authority in the house. They have that authority. They don't have to ask everything. There, are, there is some authority that's given to the children. So the children of God are given authority over sin and the devil. We have that authority. So when we live in this world, we have to move about with that authority because that authority belongs to the Father. Everything we have comes from Father. We only have the delegated authority. And God has children, he has delegated authority to us. So we should have a confidence about that. This is a new status. This world belongs to our father. And we have to live like that as though this world belongs to our father and we belong to him. The third privilege is intimacy. I don't have to explain this because the Bible says, by him, we cry, Abba, Father. By him, we cry, Abba, Father. The moment we open our mouth and say, Abba, Father, there is an element of intimacy. Now in John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So these are the privileges of adoption. We have security, we have authority, and we have intimacy. Why is adoption required? What are the privileges of adoption? Finally, how does adoption make us more like Jesus? How does adoption make us more like Jesus? This is very important because I said this message partly to a great extent answers a question how can I enjoy God? How can I delight in God? And we need to understand how this adoption make us more like Jesus. Paul said, and by him, we cry, Abba, Father. With this, just this with one term cry, we can have a sermon. Because this word conveys so much of 
emotions. So much of emotions, just this word cry. And by him, we cry above Father. And Paul, when he says, Paul didn't say, and by him we say, Abba, Father. And by him, we tell Abba, Father. Paul didn't, use, Paul didn't use that word. But Paul says, and by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And that gives us the clue. That gives us the clue for us to understand what Paul is trying to convey in this place. What Paul is emphasizing is not, we must not only believe in this doctrine, that is, we have been adopted to sonship, but we must feel it. We must feel it. And feelings are subjective. So this doesn't belong to our mind. This belongs to our heart. The problem with our churches over a period of time is we have almost suppressed our emotions. We have almost come to a point to say that if you say, I don't feel, or oh, there is something wrong with your belief. We have suppressed emotions to such an extent, we have kept emotions away from our spiritual life. But the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your mind. The first thing Jesus said is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. What is there in the heart? In the heart, we have emotions and our will. And then comes, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Because we have paid so much, of so much of attention on mind, we have just ignored our emotions. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, uh, in the Bible, if you read the book of Acts, you will come across the word Stoics and Epicureans. Stoics are basically people who had no emotions. These are people who just believed in destiny. Whatever happens, it happens. It doesn't bother, it doesn't matter. We are not supposed to express our emotions. We are not Stoics. We are children of God. And the more we become like Jesus, we will have more emotions. We should remember, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. All, all of us, whenever I've spoken with you all, you all, we all have a desire. We want to grow in our spiritual life. We want to know our God more. We want to enjoy him more. And this message is for us. If we want to have, if we want to enjoy God, then we have to be emotionally mature. It is important. The closer I get to God, the more I realize how my lack of emotions has affected my very well-being, how it has affected my marriage, how it has affected my children and my relationships. I regret. I regret because I didn't understand, because I thought spiritual life is all about your cerebral knowledge, mind, mind, mind. There was less focus on emotions, heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the reason our spiritual life without emotions can be deadly. People, they don't want to come to pastors because they quote Bible verses. They're already in pain. And over and above, 
you spiritualize their conflicts, it is deadly. It is deadly. I'm sure you all, you all will agree with me. You have experienced this when you went through struggles and when a verse was quoted, it is, it is deadly. Sometimes we think that is counseling. It's not counseling. Counseling is walking with the person, journeying with the person. There is a time when we have to speak the Bible verse, but we need to understand the emotions. Remember, very few of us, very, very few of us have come out of our families emotionally healthy. Very, if you, are, if you are honest with ourselves, we will say that we have come out of an emotionally unhealthy family. So the way we function as an adult, the way we function as a husband, the way we function as a wife, the way we function as a father, the way we function as a mother, the way we function as an employee reflect our culture and our upbringing rather than the new family of Jesus. Because we have been adopted to sonship because we didn't pay enough attention to nurture our emotions, we still behave or we still reflect our culture and our unhealthy emotions. But if you read the gospel, I'm talking about the church life where emotions have been suppressed. Now, on the contrary, the gospel, writer, the gospel writers portray the life of Jesus with full of emotions, full of emotions. I'm going to list only a few of Jesus' emotions. Jesus felt compassion. Jesus was rightly angry. Jesus was consumed with zeal. Jesus was troubled. Jesus was greatly distressed. Jesus was very sorrowful. Jesus was deeply moved. Jesus was grieved. Jesus wept. Jesus was in agony. Jesus was full of joy. Jesus loved and so on. There are several more emotions. Do you see how rich Jesus was emotionally? He had all these emotions. And in the church, you are being taught you are not supposed to express your emotions. But Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, had all these emotions, compassion, angry, zeal, trouble, distress, sorrowful, deeply moved, grieved, wept, agony, full of joy, loud. That's why I said our spiritual life without emotions can be deadly, can be deadly. Too often we have overlooked this part of Jesus' life. We want to be like Jesus. We think spirituality is bereft, devoid of emotions. Not at all. It is when you are truly spiritual, you have those emotions. Emotions come to life. Who has given us emotions? God has given us those emotions. Jesus reveals what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God. Jesus reveals what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God. Let me speak to the men of this community. 
men, we have suppressed our emotions. Jesus was a man. We have suppressed our emotions to such an extent, we have almost become dead in this particular area. And Jesus reveals what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God. Women, by nature of their motherhood, they have those emotions. But men, we men, we need to cultivate and nurture these emotions if we want to grow spiritually. So the more we look at Jesus, the more we become aware of our need of a transformation of our hearts. I said, when the Bible talks, when the Bible mentions heart, it's talking about our emotions and will. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's basically telling us, love the Lord your God with all your emotions and with all your will. And then comes, love the Lord your God with all your mind. We do very well to love our God with all our mind. We are intellectual people, we read, we have stored things in our mind, we have facts, we love our God with our mind. The need of the day, the need of the hour for men in particular is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our emotions. We need to bring back those emotions. So we need transformation of our hearts so that we can be fully human. That's what Paul says. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, there's an incident when Philip, the disciple of Jesus, asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. You know what the reply of Jesus? Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus is telling, my emotions reveal the nature of our God, because our God is emotional. Our God is emotional. That's why we have the metaphor, even can a mother forget the baby at her breast? It's talking about emotions. A God is full of emotions. If we are to represent Jesus in our home and workplaces, then we need to learn to experience the emotions of Jesus. It is important if we want to represent Jesus into our spouse, to our children, and in our workplaces, to our superiors, to our colleagues, then we need to learn to experience the emotions of Jesus. And our emotions always emerge at a deeper level than an intellect. It is not from the mind that you, you have those emotions, it is at a deeper level. It is in the heart from where we have our emotions. We can, we can desire to have emotions, but we can't produce it. All of us can desire to be rich in our emotions, but we can't produce it. It is the Holy Spirit that produces these emotions in us. Both men and women who are called sons of God, we need to be rich in our emotions and we cannot produce it on our own. It is only the Holy Spirit who can produce those emotions. That's the reason Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, not into our mind. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit 
who calls out Abba, Father. If our spirituality were to remain only at the head level, we will not have these emotions. Is the spirit of God. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So the spirit of adoption is essentially a matter of feelings towards God. It is essentially a matter of our feelings towards God. It is not just we believe in the scriptures, much more is involved. We really know it, we feel it. But we must remember there are variations in, our, in the intensity of these feelings. Some may feel very strong, some may feel not so strong, but definitely the spirit of adoption brings some sort of feeling into us. Our belief emerges from our hearts when our mind and our emotions work together. Both our mind and our emotions, when they work together, that's where a living faith, living belief emerges. Sometimes our spiritual life is dry. Let's be honest, it's dry because we have no emotions to support it, to support our spiritual life. So when our mental faculty and our emotions, when they work together, then it becomes lively. Then worship becomes a joy. It doesn't become, you know, it's boring. Oh, when the service will end. Remember, we all come from broken families. Broken families. I'm not saying broken families in the sense father and mother are separated. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about emotionally unhealthy families that shape our emotional reactions. You know, we have, because we have come from a family where emotions have not been nurtured, we tend to have reactions like over-anxiety, guilt, irrational anger, unreasonable expectations, and so on. These are the feelings we have inherited from our families, from our earthly families. And when we are not careful, these are the feelings we have given to our children also. By, because we have not dealt with our anger, we have not dealt with our guilt, we have not dealt with our, with our expectations. We have expressed our insecurity we have shown more of anxiety. So our children also have learned these things. Remember the Holy Spirit alone can bring about healing and change our feelings and behavior. Roman chapter eight is all about the Holy Spirit, all about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit alone can bring about healing and change our feelings and behavior. So we have seen why is adoption required? Why is adoption required? What are the privileges of adoption? How does adoption make us more like Jesus? So how do we apply this message? The spirit of adoption means they should warm our hearts. The spirit of adoption should just warm our hearts. It should just kindle our minds and ima imaginations. Uh, if you study brain chemistry, they will talk about right hemisphere and left hemisphere, and they will talk about in a right hemisphere, you have creativity, emotions, and left hemisphere, they'll talk about logics, and you know, you're, you're able to solve all mathematics, good. 
but we need to have a balance in both the hemispheres. So this, this adoption to sonship gives that balance. It nurtures both the left and right hemisphere of the brain. It keeps the emotions in place. In other words, the spirit of adoption takes us to a new level of relationship with God. I know in this community, all of us desire to have that relationship with God. And this spirit of adoption takes us to that new level of relationship with God. You know, we tend to have a feeling toward God. We delight in God. We not only believe in God or believe about him, we tend to enjoy him. We tend to enjoy him at all times. So how do we come to that place? I said, though I may desire to have these emotions, I cannot create these emotions. It's only Holy Spirit who can give these emotions. So what, what should we do? What should we do? The first thing we should do is obedience. Obedience. If we really desire this blessing, we have to prove it by living a life of obedience. We have to tell God, I desire you so much by leading a obedient life. Let us not to have the spirit of adoption while we are obeying and pleasing the world. You cannot have both the things. We cannot have both the things. If our, if our desire is so much that I want to have these emotions, then I cannot keep pleasing the world. I need to obey. I, want to, I have to show God that God, you are the most important person. You are God in my life. You know, in John 2, 4, it says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. We don't earn our salvation by obedience. Salvation is a gift. But the spirit of adoption, we experience the spirit of adoption when we start obeying the commands of God. I don't have to stress more on this aspect. Obedience in all aspects, the way you use your time, the way you use your talents, the way you use your treasures, you ex the way you express your emotions, the way I express my emotions to my spouse, to my children, to my environment, I can, I can say whether I'm obeying or not. So one is obedience. The second thing is prayer. Prayer. We pray for so many things. God, give me this. God, give me that. We pray. It is good we pray. But we need to pray for this experience. We need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to pray. We pray. That's, that's the reason last time I said, Paul's prayer to Ephesus, may the eyes of their hearts be enlightened. So let's pray to God. God, give me the spirit. I don't have emotions. My emotions are dead. Give me the spirit of adoption. Help me to realize this. That's the reason Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And we ask. We go with a list of things to God. There's nothing wrong. We ask. But this verse also should be read in conjunction with Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is not telling this to unbelievers. Go and read this chapter, Luke chapter 11. He's addressing his disciples. His disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And it is in that context 
Jesus is telling this particular thing. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? He will give us what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Our hearts will be richer only with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts will come to life only with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption is so important. It is so important. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It is so important. I think in the year 1788, Isaac Watts, this is the way he wrote the hymn. Behold, what wondrous grace the Father has bestowed on sinners of a mortal race to call them sons of God. How many of us are just excited that we are being called the sons of God? So he was excited. Isaac Watts was excited and he says, Behold, what wondrous grace the Father had bestowed on sinners of a mortal race to call them sons of God. If in my father's love I share an affectionate part, send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. Send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. This morning, let this be a prayer. Send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. We have seen why is adoption required? What are the privileges of adoption? How does adoption make us more like Jesus? We will never regret if we enrich our emotional life. We will never regret. Our home will be a better place. We'll be able to love our spouse better. We'll be able to love our children better. We'll be able to love our superiors better. We'll be able to perform better in our workplace. We will do great service to ourselves, to our very well-being, if we have healthy emotions like Jesus, we should have these emotions. We should bring back those emotions. And let this be our cry. Send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. Send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.